Elder Marlon K. Jensen of the 70 has just spoken to us. It will now be my opportunity, Brother Monson, to express a few thoughts on this occasion. What a solemn thought to contemplate the vast priesthood audience assembled here in the tabernacle on Temple Square and gathered in hundreds of buildings throughout the world. I sincerely pray for the Spirit of the Lord to guide my remarks this evening. The presence of those who hold the Aaronic Priesthood brings to mind my own experiences as I graduated from primary, having memorized the Articles of Faith, and then received the Aaronic Priesthood and the office and calling of a deacon. To pass the sacrament was a privilege, and to gather fast offerings a sacred trust. I was set apart as the secretary of the deacon's quorum, and at that moment felt the boyhood had passed and young manhood had begun. Can you young men realize the shock I felt while attending an officer's meeting of our ward conference when a member of the stake presidency, after calling upon the priesthood and auxiliary leaders to speak, without warning, read my name and office, inviting me to give an account of my stewardship and express my feelings regarding my calling as secretary of the deacon's quorum and thus a ward officer. I don't recall a word I said, but a sense of responsibility engulfed me never to depart thereafter. I sincerely hope that each deacon, teacher, and priest is aware of the significance of his priesthood ordination and the privilege which is his to fulfill a vital role in the life of every member through his participation in administration and passing of the sacrament each Sunday. At the time I held the Aaronic Priesthood, it seemed we always sang the same hymns during the opening exercises of priesthood meeting. They were, Come all ye sons of God, come all ye sons of Zion, how firm a foundation, Israel, Israel, God is calling, and a few others. Our voices were not the best, nor was volume adequate, but we learned the words and we remember the message of each hymn. I smile when I reflect on an account I heard concerning Brother Thale Smith and his service in a bishopric with Bishop Israel Heaton. Sister Heaton called Brother Smith one Sunday morning and mentioned that her husband was ill and unable to attend priesthood meeting. Brother Smith reported this to the brethren assembled that morning and then, without thinking, asked the brother who was to offer the invocation to remember Bishop Israel Heaton in the prayer, following which we will sing, Israel, Israel, God is calling. <laughs> I suppose the smiles outnumbered any frowns. By the way, Bishop Heaton recovered. <laughs> the opening exercises of priesthood meeting may be brief, but should be held in each ward without fail. It brings to the hearts and souls of all assembled a spirit of unity, the brotherhood of priesthood, and a beautiful reminder of our sacred duties. All who hold the priesthood have opportunities for service to our Heavenly Father and to His children on earth. You know, it's contrary to the spirit of service to live selfishly within ourselves and disregard the needs of others. The Lord will guide us 
and make us equal to the challenges before us. If we will remember his promise and counsel, and I quote, the power and authority of the higher or Melchizedek priesthood is to hold the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the Church, to have the privilege of receiving the mysteries of the kingdom, to have the heavens opened unto them, to commune with the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn, and to enjoy the communion and presence of God the Father and Jesus the Mediator of the New Covenant." Close quote. To merit this blessing, it is necessary for each of us to recall who is the giver of every gift and the provider of every blessing, remembering the worth of souls is great in the sight of God and is not an idle phrase but a heaven-sent declaration for our enlightenment and our guidance. We must ever remember who we are and what God expects us to become. This pearl of philosophy is hidden away in the delightful musical Fiddler on the Roof as the peasant father Tevye counsels his growing daughters. Other contemporary plays carry thoughts worthy of our consideration as we prepare for noble service. From the production of Camelot comes the observation, violence is not strength and compassion is not weakness. From the play Shenandoah, if we don't try, we don't do. And if we don't do, then why are we here? And then Eliza Doolittle, the pupil of Professor Henry Iggins in My Fair Lady, observes to Colonel Pickering her philosophy. The difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she's treated. I shall always be a flower girl to Professor Iggins because he always treats me as a flower girl and always will. But I know I can be a lady to you because you always treat me as a lady and always will. Then again from Camelot, King Arthur pleaded with Guinevere, We must not let our passions destroy our dreams. That's good priesthood philosophy. And the list continues on. In reality, each magnificent observation is but a paraphrase of the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our exemplar. He is our guide. It is in his footsteps we must walk to be successful in our priesthood callings. May I share with you tonight some words of wisdom from fellow servants who labored in the ranks but who have now gone to their eternal reward? First from a wise stake president to a young bishop. He said, The work is all-consuming, but ever realize three guidelines to be a successful bishop. One, feed the poor. Two, have no favorites. And number three, tolerate no iniquity. Commenting on this last guideline, President Spencer W. Kimball declared, When dealing with transgression, apply a bandage large enough to cover the wound, no larger, no smaller. Second, prior to the creation of the Toronto-Ontario stake in 1960, Elder L. Ray L. Christiansen, that marvelous leader of yesteryear, then an assistant to the Council of the Twelve, 
recounted for the benefit of priesthood leaders a lesson from his own life when he was called to preside over the East Cash Stake in Logan, Utah. <clears throat> he mentioned that he and his counselors met to discuss what the stake members most needed and which principles of the gospel the stake presidency should stress. Their opinions varied from sacrament meeting attendance to observance of the Sabbath day, with a lot of territory in between. At length, they agreed that the principle most needed was spirituality. They appreciated the truth found in a favorite observation of mine. When one deals in generalities, he will rarely have a success. But when he deals in specifics, he will rarely have a failure. The four-year plan of President Christiansen and his counselors was refined in a splendid fashion. Year one, we shall increase the spirituality of the membership of the East Cash Stake by every family having family prayer. Year two, we shall increase the spirituality of the membership of the East Cash Stake by every member attending sacrament meeting weekly. Year three, we shall increase the spirituality of the membership of the East Cash Stake by each member paying an honest tithing. Year four, we shall increase the spirituality of the membership of the stake by each member honoring the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. Each was the theme for the entire year. Emphasis was given constantly. And after the four-year program was concluded, all four of the specific objectives had been attained. But of even greater significance, the spirituality of the membership of the East Cash Stake had shown marked improvement. Spirituality is not bestowed simply by wishing. Rather, it comes quietly and imperceptibly by serving. The Lord counseled, Therefore, if ye have desires to serve God, ye are called to the work. Many years ago, while attending a district conference in Ottawa, Canada, I called two men from a small branch, the Cornwall branch, to serve in responsible positions in the Lord's service. I jotted down their heartfelt response and share with you tonight the words from that time. From Elder John Brady, rather recently deceased, he said at that time, I have covenanted, I will serve faithfully. From Walter Danick, in response to an invitation to serve, he said, The gospel is the most important thing in my life. I will serve gladly. It was President John Taylor who provided rather direct counsel to those of us who hold the priesthood. If you do not magnify your calling, God will hold you responsible for those whom you might have saved had you done your duty. Somehow I feel that if we will always remember who it is we serve and on whose errand we are, we will draw closer to the source of the inspiration we seek, even our Master and our Savior. President Harold B. Lee had a marked influence on Sister Monson and me and our three children. He was a compassionate leader. On rather brief occasions, he commented to each of our children in a tone which reflected deep spirituality genuine interest, and inspired counsel. 
Our youngest son, Clark, was about to turn 12 when we chanced to see Brother Lee in the parking lot of the church office building. He asked Clark, How old you are? How old he was? Clark answered, Soon to be 12. Came the second question, What happens to you when you turn 12? I'll tell you, I agonized waiting for the response. He said, I'll receive the Aaronic priesthood and be ordained a deacon. I thought, hallelujah, the right answer. <laughs> With a warm smile and the clasp of his hand, Brother Lee said, Bless you, my boy. Our daughter Anne, as a young teenager, was with her mother and me when we encountered Brother Lee and proper introductions were made. Brother Lee took our daughter's hand in his and with a lovely smile said to her, You, my dear one, are beautiful inside as well as outside. What a choice young lady you are. She's never forgotten it. In a more solemn setting, Brother Lee met me one evening on the steps of the LDS Hospital here in Salt Lake City. By appointment, we were to give a blessing to my eldest son, Tom, who was then in his later teens. Surgery awaited, which could be of a most serious nature. Brother Lee took my hand before we ascended the stairs and, looking me straight in the eye, said to me, Tom, there is no place I would rather be at this moment than by your side to participate with you in providing a sacred priesthood blessing to your son. We then went to his room where he said to Tom, We are about to give you a blessing, even a priesthood ordinance. We approach this privilege in humility, for we remember the counsel of the Prophet Joseph Smith, who said, When those who hold the priesthood place their hands on the head of a person in this sacred ordinance. It is as though the hands of the Lord were placed thereon. The blessing was given. The surgery turned out to be minor, but lessons were learned. Spirituality of a great leader was observed, and a model to follow was provided. Brethren, there are tens of thousands of priesthood holders scattered among you who, through indifference, hurt feelings, shyness, or weakness, cannot bless to the fullest extent their wives and children without considering the lives of others whom they could bless and lift. Ours is the solemn duty to bring about a change, to take such an individual by the hand and help him arise and be well spiritually. As we do so, sweet wives will call our names blessed, and grateful children will marvel at the change in Daddy as lives are altered and souls are saved. When I visited state conferences as a member of the Twelve, I always took note of those stakes which had excelled in bringing to activity those brethren whose talents and potential leadership had lain dormant. Inevitably, I would ask, how were you able to achieve success? What did you do, and how did you do it? One such stake was the North Carbon Stake, when President Cecil Broadbent presided. Eighty-seven men had been reactivated and with their wives and children went to the Manti Temple in the space of one year. President Broadbent, upon hearing my questions, turned to his counselor, President Stanley Judd, 
a large and good-natured coal miner, and said, introducing him to me, this is President Judd's responsibility in the state presidency. He will answer your question. As I restated my questions to President Judd, I concluded with the plea, will you tell me how you did it? With a smile, he replied, no. <laughs> I was stunned. Then he said, if I tell you how we did it, then you will tell others, and others will surpass our record. I was still stunned. Then with a twinkle in his eye, this wonderful man added, however, Brother Monson, if you will give me two tickets to general conference, I'll tell you how we did it. <laughs> the tickets were provided. The success pattern was revealed. However, President Judd felt the contract was open-ended and asked for and received from me two tickets for each conference until he was eventually ordained a patriarch. The formula was the same, generally speaking, in each successful stake with regard to this phase of the work. It consisted of four ingredients. You priesthood leaders, jot them down. It will save you traveling all over the Church, for the principles are true. To bring the less active to a position of activity, follow these four guidelines. One, put forth your efforts at the ward level. Two, involve the ward bishop. Three, provide inspired teaching. And four, do not attempt to concentrate on all the brethren at once. Rather, work with a few husbands and their wives at a given time, and then have them help you as you work with others. High-powered sales techniques are not the answer in priesthood leadership. Rather, devotion to duty, continuous effort, abundant love, and personal spirituality combine to touch the heart, prompt the change, and bring to the table of the Lord his hungry children who have wandered in the wilderness of the world but who now have returned home. Long years ago, I reorganized the Star Valley Stake. At the time, the legendary leader Francis E. Winters was released. He had served faithfully and with distinction for many years. The Sabbath day dawned. The members came from far and wide and crowded into the Afton, Wyoming chapel. Every available space was taken. As the reorganization of the stake presidency was concluded, I did something I had not done before. I felt impressed to conduct a modest exercise, and I asked publicly at that time, would all of you who have been given a name or been baptized or confirmed by Francis Winters Please stand and remain standing. Many stood. Then I continued, Now will all of you who have been ordained or set apart by Francis Winters, please stand and remain standing. Another large number swelled the ranks of those standing. Finally, will all of you who have received a blessing under the hands of Francis Winters, please stand and remain standing. All the remainder stood. I turned to President Winters 
and with tears coursing down my cheeks, said to him, President Winters, you see before you the result of your ministry as state president. The Lord is pleased. Silence prevailed. Heads nodded their approval as sobs were then heard and handkerchiefs retrieved from every purse and pocket. It was one of the most spiritually rewarding experiences of my life. No one in that vast throng will ever forget how he or she felt at that hour. After the work of the conference had been concluded, goodbyes had been said, I began the drive home. I found myself singing the favorite hymn from the Sunday school days of my youth as I thought of Francis Winters. Thanks for the Sabbath school, hail to the day, when evil and error are fleeing away. Thanks for our teachers who labor with care, that we in the light of the gospel may share. Now in the morning of life, let us try each virtue to cherish, all vice to decry. Strive with the noble in deeds that exalt, and battle with energy each childish fault. And then I literally boomed the chorus. Join in the jubilee, mingle in song, join in the joy of the Sabbath school throng. Great be the glory of those who do right, who overcome evil in good, take delight. I was all alone in the car. Where was I? The miles hurried by. In silent reverie, I reflected on the events of the conference. Francis Winters, a bookkeeper at the Community Cheese Factory, a man of modest means, a humble home, had walked the path that Jesus walked. And like the Master, he went about doing good. He qualified for the Savior's description of Nathaniel as he approached him from afar. Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Brethren, my prayer tonight is that all of us, in whatever capacities we serve in the Church, may merit the gentle touch on our shoulder of the Master's hand and qualify for that same salutation received by Nathaniel, that we, at the conclusion of life's journey, may hear those divinely spoken words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And this I ask. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. amen. President Gordon B. Hinckley, first counselor and the first presidency, will be our concluding speaker. Before hearing his remarks, we remind you that the CBS Tabernacle Choir broadcast will be from 9.30 to 10 tomorrow morning. Those desiring to attend the broadcast in the Sunday morning session, which follows, must be in their seats before 9.15 a.m. Daylight savings time. Because daylight savings time begins at 2 a.m. tomorrow, we encourage you to move your clocks ahead one hour before you retire this evening. And as you leave this priesthood meeting tonight, we ask you to obey traffic rules, to use caution, and to be courteous in driving. We express our gratitude to the Melchizedek Priesthood Choir from the University, Utah Region, for the beautiful music this evening. And following President Hinckley's address, the choir will conclude by singing 
the priesthood of our Lord. And the benediction will then be offered by Elder John E. Fowler of the Seventy. President Hinckley.